This episode is brought to you by Sun Terrace Records and their latest release from a band called Red Curtain. It's a self-titled 7-inch. Kind of sounds like bands like Super Heaven, Jawbreaker, Basement. So visit str.limitedrun.com. You can buy the 7-inch. Do it up. Now here's the show. Another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm your host, Ray Harkins, and I'm at Union Station in Los Angeles, California, because I'm so stupidly busy that I can't sit down for a few minutes and record a professional introduction for the podcast besides on my phone. <sighs> Anyways, the guest this week is Mr. Kevin Dye from the band Gates. He's the vocalist and guitarist. And some of you may be like, hey, I've kind of heard of that band, Gates. Like, what's their deal? Well, Obviously, you're going to find out here, but the band is incredible. I've seen them live, I think, twice now. Um, basically, if you like anything in the mid-90s to late-90s from the emotional rock genre, you will adore this band. This band needs to be huge, in my opinion, and hopefully this podcast will be one more step on their way. So I'm recording this as I'm waiting for a bus. I've just been to New York City. just got back from Paris recently. And I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm stuffy, as you can probably tell. You can probably hear the buses going on behind me. And I apologize to our producer, who tries to make this show sound as good as possible. And then I give him, uh, you know, sometimes uh, less than ideal audio. But anyways, I digress. The real excitement that I have for this podcast is the fact that stuff is really happening. In case you haven't noticed, there's been a lot of sponsors that have jumped onto this thing. Huge cool sponsors and then also supporting DIY record labels and I'm just really really excited about that. You'll notice a lot of cool things happening to the show over the course of the next month or so but I'm working with some friends of mine to hopefully launch something even cooler in the upcoming months and I know for those of you that have listened to the show regularly you've heard me tease stuff before that has uh, honestly never come to fruition and once this thing launches then I will definitely let you know more of the background story for a lot of the other things that, uh, you know, honestly just didn't come true in the past. So I apologize for being secretive and veiled. I don't like to do that. But um, yeah, we want to make sure this stuff is cool before we launch it, you know? Last last thing I want to do is half-ass launch something because I've honestly done that in the past and it's, uh, it's never fun. So anyways, like I said, Kevin from Gates... We, uh, we spoke over Skype. He was in Southern California, and I tried to do a show with him, but our schedules didn't coincide. So anyways, great band, great dude, great conversation. No other way to describe it other than great. Here's my discussion with Kevin, and I will talk to you after the jump. With, with your band so much just because of the sonic similarities to what uh, I had going on with my old band just because we never felt at home on any bill like you know we we had elements of being like the bands that we played with but never like uh, oh yeah we 
that makes total sense. We of course will tour with this band and uh, we'll of course do, you know, this particular show because this, this band will, this band's fans will totally get us different for uh, a band now where you guys are playing with obviously, I guess, for lack of a better term, like uh, w- the fans that consume music have a wider base of knowledge, um, or is it still just weird for you guys to get up in front of different people on a nightly basis and be like, well, I guess we'll see how this goes. It's, I honestly don't know. It's so hard to tell what other people are thinking, especially younger kids. Like, I don't really know how they perceive music anymore. I mean, like, I always think about it in the terms of how I always consume music. So yeah, sometimes I'm like, all right, we're opening for Pentimento and Have Mercy. Like, what are they? What are the? What's the crowd thinking when they see us play? Like, are they like, what? What is this band doing here? Or are they like, oh, this is cool? They don't really care what genre it is. Like, I honestly think that some of the younger kids, you could put like a hip hop guy opening up for a pop punk band, and they wouldn't think twice about it. I think that like as as the youth goes on, they really don't care about genre boundaries. Whereas when I was growing up, it was like punk rock or die. And I didn't want to like admit that I was in a creed when I was in sixth grade anymore. Cause it wasn't cool. You know what I mean? And like, I think now, like I, I definitely remember when grunge was like really not cool to listen to. And now all of a sudden there's this like revival of like, okay, yeah, Nirvana is cool. And I'm like, like, I think there just isn't any more of this, like, this kind of like segregation of genres where you're like, Oh yeah, absolutely. No, these, these bands can't tour together. You know, like there's just been so many different, and maybe I see it that way too, because of the way we are, because we are, like you said, kind of a hodgepodge of a bunch of different stuff. So it doesn't make perfect sense for us to tour with any band, but it doesn't not make sense for us to tour with the band. So we can just kind of play anywhere and it's not ever going to go like, amazing but it's never not going to be like it's never going to be horrible you know i've never had an experience and that's pretty much from what we've done exactly what i've experienced i'm definitely glad that there's that that element of like well no matter what it's not going to be like you know uh you know you're gonna have tomatoes thrown right. or something like not not like that's ever happened <laughs> on a show ever but <laughs> but that was just the first example i could think of but yeah no i see i, I see what you're saying where it's like there uh there definitely is that element where you can uh you know, similar to what, you know, you and I were talking about the last time you came through uh, Southern California, where it's like, you can kind of tailor your sets appropriately, where it's like, okay, we're playing, you know, when I saw you with Pianos Become the Teeth, like you mentioned, like, yeah, we're playing a quote unquote heavier set than what we might do if we're playing in front of, you know, whatever the story so far as fans or whatever. I really like that approach because I mean not only does it obviously push you guys as a band to kind of stretch your sets out a little bit further because it's so easy to just lock into the same five to six songs each night and that's it so I'm sure it's fun for you guys to be kind of like all right well we're gonna add these two songs because this will make more sense yeah exactly and I think that it's funny because we added at last of only to them on the piano store being like oh yeah you know people who are coming to see pianos are you know they'll they'll be down with that that outro where I'm just screaming the whole time it's like I I don't necessarily want to play that in front of, you know, a different crowd. But then again, Piano's new record is super relaxed. So it was kind of like we got like right off the bat. And then they played two old songs on the entire tour. They were playing all new stuff. And it's kind of you kind of realize it definitely sounded louder. Like they definitely put more energy into it than what's on their record live. So it definitely evened out. But um, that being said, also like Loma was on the tour, which was like, all right, obviously we, we can play something heavy here because Loma's playing after us. And they're like, 
the heaviest, loudest band I've ever seen. So, you right. know, it was like, we can equalize this out. And it, you know, it's cool to have those options, to have different songs. I think in the future as we go on, I still like the idea of just trying out some different dynamics. So we do have a variety of songs we can play live. So if we do get a tour that's, you know, like more of a, like a heavier band, we can play with them and it's not awkward. And then if we get a more like indie rock tour, we can play with them and play different songs and it makes sense, you know, like, I think that's just what naturally ended up coming out of us, but I do like that we have the ability to do that. So you yourself, were you born and raised in, in Minneapolis, you said? or uh, Michigan, actually, yeah. Where, uh, where in particular? Born in Farmington Hills, but um, lived in Novi, which is real close to there for most of my life. Um, went to high school there. I went to college in uh, East Lansing, Michigan State, and I only moved to New York in uh, March of 2010. And that was the first time I moved out of Michigan. Where is that geographically in uh, in the state? It's pretty close to Detroit. It's like a suburb of Detroit, but okay. maybe like 45 minutes outside of Detroit. Okay. If uh, if I was talking to you in person, I would do that little hand thing that everyone from Michigan does and show you exactly where it is. Sure. But it's like, yeah, oh, I'm going to hold up my hand and show you exactly where uh, where I live, even though most people maybe aren't even familiar with what Michigan looks like. But, right, right. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, it's a great side of Detroit, but it was, it's a perfectly normal place, you know, a bunch of chain restaurants, just the mid- middle America, like middle class suburb. You know, nothing special about it. Nothing. I don't, I didn't have this like hard life growing up. I had really supportive parents who like saw me and they were like, all right, you tried every sport and you didn't like, or were good at any of those. Why don't you try playing this guitar? And I tried that too. And my mom, I remember I was trying to learn the, the solo for smells like teen spirit. And I was like, this, this is too hard. My mom was like, well, you didn't do anything else. So like, you, you're going to go in your room and you're going to play this until you learn the solo. Cause if you didn't, you didn't want to play sports. So like, this is what you're going to do now. And I was like, okay. And then I just went in and like figured it out eventually. And it was like, I definitely credit her and my dad for kind of pushing me into doing music. Um, I don't necessarily think they thought I was going to try to do it in the capacity I do it now, but I do credit them a lot for just being like, yeah, you should play music and, and making me pursue that as a hobby you know every parent obviously wants to be supportive of their child and like like you said run you through all the sports and realize like okay this isn't your thing but then ultimately putting their foot down on like dude we've literally run out of options like you <laughs> you you have to do something kevin and stick <laughs> to it and we're gonna make guitar that thing <laughs> yeah it, like maybe that isn't how it went down but i definitely perceived it that way it was like my mom was just wanted me to do something. You yeah. know, it was like, you just should, you should be good at somewhere, like have some sort of hobby. And I think like for her, it was like, I was just being whiny about it. I was just whining about like not being able to learn a solo. She's like, come on, you know, right, and, like, right. my parents also always listened to like modern music. So my dad was super into Metallica's like black album and my mom loved like grunge stuff. And, it, you know, so like I was surrounded by that kind of music anyway, they were listening to it anyway. Like it was something that my whole family like enjoyed. So it made sense for her to be like, yeah, you should pursue this because it wasn't like it was this weird outlier thing for us. It wasn't like, Oh yeah. Guitar maybe, you know, it was like, it was pretty on the forefront, like just being a musical family as far as like enjoying music is concerned. 
you know, and my parents had like a huge record collection. They were just always music fans. Yeah. So it makes absolute sense that they would push me to do that. Sure, sure. Yeah, maybe maybe they were thankfully grateful. They're like, oh, dude, we're so glad that like we didn't have to buy hundreds of dollars of like uh, you know football equipment or hockey equipment or whatever. And it's like, oh yeah, we can just you know get him a guitar and like that'll be good for a while. But then we'll buy him you know a really terrible crate amp and like we can, <laughs> we can handle it that way. Exactly. No, dude, they they did buy me the crate amp. But I'll be honest with you, I went to the store and I shot them all out, and the crate amp was the one I decided I wanted. Oh so man, that's nice. my discerning ear of. The, the audio engineer and producer I am today. Totally. Let me just tell you guys, I really know what a good amp sounds like. I, I, I picked Crate when I was a kid. I hope that uh, I hope that you also bought that in conjunction with a Metal Zone distortion pedal. <laughs> Dude, no, I actually had the grunge pedal. Oh. I don't know if you remember that. I do. Even worse. I, I Even loved worse. I think my favorite thing, I mean, I never played guitar myself, but I always marveled at the pedals because of the just, I found them so comical because it was like, you know, the settings were obviously not like, you know, whatever bass treble. It was like brains and guts and like, yeah, exactly. Like, even my 16 year old brain was like, dude, that's, that's pretty lame. And like, but my <laughs> friends that play guitar were like, no, that's sick, man. It's totally uh-huh. cool. It's funny because the grunge pedal actually has a knob. You can turn the butt up on it. And like everyone just calls that kind of music butt rock now. So it's like really, really funny that they were foreseeing that. And they're like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to put butt on this. You can turn the butt up on this, this. This, it's like, Oh my God, guys, luckily pedals have evolved past that, but there was definitely a time frame where every pedal had some stupid paint job and like ridiculous fonts on it. Totally. Yeah. That was, there was definitely like, it was like a four year period of like gold rush where that company put like, basically they were probably all the same exact pedal except with different paint jobs and descriptions. <laughs> exactly. Um, so what did your, what, what did your parents do uh, for a living? Like was, was your mom specifically taking care of you and your dad was out in the, out in the, uh, the workforce? Um, my dad is an engineer at GM. Okay. He's always done that for as long as I've been alive. My mom was also an engineer at GM. That's how they met. And she quit her job when I was born but then eventually became a teacher. So she teaches fourth grade now. Oh, nice. Um, so that's what my parents do. Uh, I think also the fact that my mom is a teacher and a really great teacher at that, like, I think that kind of explains her attitude toward, you know, nurturing me to do something and really kind of being like a supportive parent as opposed to, you know, just not caring what I did. You know, I think that explains definitely the, the background of me, like, doing this and her always, you know, we, we throw local shows when I was in high school at the VFW hall, but you couldn't, you couldn't do that unless you had a parent to sign off on that. So they would be the ones that signed off and would rent the hall out for us to throw a show. And then they would come and make sure nobody was doing anything stupid and supervise the whole thing, but not in a weird way. So people still wanted to come, you know, it wasn't like, Oh, there's parents here now. They would just hang out in the back and make sure no one saw them and just be really cool about the whole thing. And, you know, I like if it wasn't for that, my entire high school experience would have been different because they were just always doing that for us. Even when we were too young to drive, like driving us out to do this stuff and, mm-hmm. you know, buying us more gear and just whatever it was, whatever it took to keep us, you know, making and playing music. You know, my brother was a musician, too. He was in every single band that I've ever been in besides Gates. So I think it was just like, yeah, they just wanted us to play music and and have a hobby. And they could tell we loved doing it so much that they were willing to support it. So, yeah. Is your brother older or younger than you? 
he's younger than me, but we're pretty much the same person. So like, I've never even thought of it that way. Like, I feel like I'm a little bit too immature for my age. He's a little bit more mature than he should be. So we kind of met each other halfway, but sure. You, um, you balance each other out. Yeah. He's it, like the way I describe my brother now, because, uh, Mike Hansen for the band Pensamento saw him at a show that he came out to on the tour we were doing with them. And he was like, I saw that guy over there and I was like, that's not Kevin, but it looks like if you were playing street fighter and two people pick the same character and it has to kind of change the colors a little bit. So you know, who's who. So he must like be related to Kevin in some way. And I'm like, that's exactly what it is. He just looks like me. Only he's a, he's like the same character in street fighter. You just both picked him. <laughs> right. Right. He's, he's pretty much the, you know, my, he's my best friend. We've always got along super well. So we, we just played music together. That was one thing we did every day after school. So what did he, uh, was he drums or was he bass? He was bass. Yeah. He, he played guitar for a while and then he was kind of like, this sucks. And then he just ended up picking up bass. So yeah, he was a bass player. We always went through a bunch of different drummers. And then my, our other best friend always was the singer in every band. I was not the singer of any band, um, before Gates. Gates is the first time where I was like, all right, I guess I got to sing now. So, <laughs> wow. Well, we'll, we'll get back to that. Cause I have, I definitely have questions on that. Um, right. the, uh, so then, like you said, it was a very standard suburban, uh, living, um, working, you know, within the context of your father, obviously being, you know, an engineer at GM, I mean, being connected to the, uh, was he, was he connected to the automotive uh, industry? I presume working at GM or was it something else that he was engineering? Yeah, no, he's, he manages like projects now, but you know, he started off as, as an engineer and then became a manager of projects. So like he, you know, he oversees like basically a car line that's being created. I think the most recent thing he was doing was he's been going overseas to supervise kind of like hybrid engines now, like being, being made for GMs, like subsidiary companies or whatever overseas and kind of teaching them, you know, he kind of spearheaded doing hybrid engines here and now they're trying to teach them how to basically make them overseas for their other cars so um rad yeah it's cool i mean i've always looked up to them i actually went to uh i went to college initially to become a mechanical engineer um what i really wanted to do was design roller coasters totally random what did you did you play the video game roller coaster tycoon obviously huge fan. that's amazing I think what, how I got to that was like we used to go to Cedar Point in Ohio like every single summer with my family. So I think I just got really obsessed with roller coasters that way. I even had this like this 3D program that would allow you to design the track layout and then you could ride it to see what it was like. Wow. And at, at this point, they actually it was like a hobbyist program. But I looked it up the other day out of curiosity, and the actual designers use it now. Wow. Like it got to the point where like they actually use it to to show their clients what the ride's going to be like. Uh-huh. It's kind of crazy. But yeah. it was one of those things where this sounds ridiculous now because I'm in a band, but I, I decided not to do that because there was such a little chance that I was going to make it as a roller coaster designer. It's like, <laughs> there's, there's no way I'm ever going to become a roller coaster designer. There's only like eight people in the world that do that. You know what I should do? Play in a band. Right. Like that was my alternative. Like, oh come on, dude! Like, I don't dude, know what I was thinking. Right here's here's the plan B to my plan A. Like, 
<laughs> and like most mostly l- playing in a band, you're supposed to have a plan B. So technically, you should probably have a plan C, Kevin. <laughs> I think I need a plan C like right away. Wow, that's incredible. And so, so what kind of kid did you find yourself being like in high school as you started to develop your identity? Um, and obviously, we're attempting uh, sports and all these other things. Um, were you, you know, quiet kid? Were you uh, more interested in the arts? And like, where where'd you sit? Uh, I mean, I, I basically gave up sports like in like first, second grade. I think I started playing guitar in fourth grade. That's when my mom was like, all right, you guys start playing guitar. So I played, I was playing super early, but it wasn't until like eighth grade where I really found group, a group of kids that also did that. So it was like, you know, me and my brother would always jam and we would, we would make these goofy like joke songs and we, we were like, like a joke band, you know, we would make like, it would, it was just honestly just like for fun and we would record them into a tape. Like I'd play drums and he'd play bass and then we record it into a tape and then we'd play the tape back and play guitar and sing over that and record into another tape. And that's how we ended up like making songs. So I would just do that all the time with him. And then eventually we met people that played music, you know, like we met our drummer, our first drummer. And uh, I think it was in like eighth grade end of eighth grade. I started meeting people uh, I think like everyone else in that particular time frame, I heard Blink-182 and it was the first time that was like, oh, wow, those guys kind of suck, but they're huge. Like, I can totally make a band. Like, I don't have to be super good to make a band. So I just got some people together and we were like, oh, let's just play. You know, we don't have to really do anything profound here. We can make these kind of little goofy songs, but we can do it together. And I think through that, I started meeting people that did put on shows and did play shows and... I remember our eighth grade talent show that like I played in a band with my brother and a drummer and this kid across the street. Cause I was too nervous to sing. And, uh, we played all the small things. Like we covered all the small things. Mm-hmm. And then this, this other band goes on stage and they played like an original song. And it was like, they sounded like no effects or something. So it was like, Oh man, like they're so much cooler than me. Like, that's so cool. I want to do that. And then ever since then, we started trying to play original music. I always, I really, really like when people have the the talent show experience because I think it's so, um, it's so minor because obviously it's like meaningless to anybody outside of like your own personal experience. But I think it's so, uh, it's so telling of like how impactful that is because it's like, the and not only impactful for you but then it it could have possibly shaped the way that other people viewed like what a loud aggressive band is and they're just like wait what like i can do that too if my fellow classmates are like as the years go on you hear these stories of just like either if it's like i saw something at a talent show or i participate in a talent show that like it changes the trajectory of their life and even though it seems so minor it's so funny cannot act like there's anything cool going on for me like that was how I, that was the first time I got up on a stage really and played. I mean, we did these things where it was like, like when I was taking lessons, like four people would learn the same song and they would just kind of throw us together and we'd play in like the music store once a year. But it was like, this is the first time I'm playing in front of my classmates. And then they're coming up to me afterwards and be like, I didn't even know you played guitar. That was really cool, man. Like your band's great. And like, I still have the yearbook that year. Everyone signed like, you know, it's at the end of the year and they're like, wow, your band is really cool. And like, that was it. You know, that's the first time you're experiencing, wow, this is sweet. People, people like when I play music, I should do this more. I want to play out instead of just sitting in my room all day and just jamming away on guitar by myself. I actually want to be out there playing in front of people. 
And that's the first time that went down. So that's, it, it's funny. Yeah. It seems like some dorky little eighth grade talent show would mean nothing, but I don't, if it wasn't for that first like performance, I wouldn't have continued on. Yeah. You, and prior, prior to that, did you uh, like, like you mentioned, you know, you were kind of just obviously messing around with your brother, um, you know, in your, in your room or what have you. Um, but did like, did you feel like, like, I guess for lack of a better term, like an, you know, an outsider, like, did you feel that like you were being, you know, judged by your peers and kind of like, Oh, Kevin's kind of a loser just hangs out by himself or with his brother. Um, and then the, the talent show was some sense of validation where you felt like you could kind of like, Oh, like people, people seem to like me. Like this seems okay. Yeah, it was, a, it was validation in an interesting way. I think I've always had an issue with accepting positive feedback. And I don't know where it came from, but I think that high school does kind of stem from that because I don't think we ever were the cool band. I know for a fact we never were the cool band. Even when I finally made a band in high school, it was like we, we didn't really have an identity. You know, like I like I heard bands like Finch and then later like Thursday and stuff that, you know, and for some reason in eighth grade, like, yeah, I might, I might not have too, I don't have too much like legit cred shit, but I listened to At The Drive-In for some reason in eighth grade. So I'm always like, yeah, no, no, I listen to At The Drive-In because it's like, I don't know why, but I loved At The Drive-In and I also love Blink-182, you know, but like, um, so that kind of stuff was like, we'd play a song with that and I would scream, you know, and then we'd play another song that I wrote that sounded like a, like a Beach Boys song. It was like, what, I don't know where we had no identity, you know? So it was kind of just this, like, we just played whatever we wanted to. And I've always carried that idea with me. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I think that that's the right thing to do. But I always, there was always this other band that played that was like my friends, but they were way better than us. You know, it was like, oh man, they're so cool. They sound like they actually sound like a band. All their songs have the same kind of like vibe and like, they're just so cool. And like, you know, you knew everyone in the high school thought that they were like way better than your band, you know? And I think I always had that kind of like, I want to be accepted artistically. Like I want to make something that people actually think is good. So then I made a new band in college that was an attempt to do that. That was like a really mathy progressive band where we play these impossible riffs and like, there was no repeating parts and like, it was just like crazy, you know, record. And our singer wrote these ridiculous lyrics that like were words you never even knew existed, you know, and like we just wanted to be something that was so like undeniably like crazy that you, you have to be like, wow, this band is just so good. The problem is we weren't that good at playing that stuff. So it was just like a kind of a bad version of that kind of stuff. You know, I was like, well, obviously I'm not mad ombre. So I'm not, we're not the sound of animals fighting, you know? So right. it, like at some point I'm just like, damn, like I'm just in this spot where like, I feel like everyone remembered my high school band. No one really took me seriously. And I kind of gave up. I was like, I just, can't, I'm not going to play music anymore. Like I got really into recording. That's actually what I switched my major to halfway through college. I was like, I, I just, I just want to produce records. I started listening to stuff like that. Mike Watts would do like as tall as lions. And I got really into like Matt Goldman's records. Like mm-hmm. I thought everything he recorded was really cool. So I moved into, you know, I just want to be an engineer. I just want to record records. I want to contribute in some way that I think I can actually do and, and put out something that's really good. And if that means 
the, a, a band that isn't mine comes in and I actually record them and it sounds great. That's awesome. You know, I wanted to be a part of that. And then that's actually why I ended up moving to New York. I, I worked in a uh, Levon Helm studios, which was just Levon Helm's house basically for eight months. Um, as an intern there through some happenstance circumstance, my aunt, um, her daughter was married to the head engineer there. So I got in from that family connection and learned so much from him about engineering and recording. And I was super isolated up there. And what ended up happening was I just reached out to Gates, you know, via email because I just needed, I needed to talk or hang out with somebody, you know, at that point it was like, I don't know anyone. I'm so disconnected from that, like scene mentality, um, you know, being part of that, like at least my circle of friends back home and like at least having that and moving away from that and having nothing. And so I sent Gates like a demo of me singing over it and uh, over one of their songs. And, you know, Ethan called me back in five minutes. It was like, I love it. This is so good. This is incredible. And I'm talking to dudes that like, I listened to that song. I was like, wow. Wow, these guys are amazing. Dude. This was that band that like I always wanted to be. Let me put my vocals on it. And I think something was so validating that particular moment when they called me back and they were so excited about it. And that they let me be in Gates. You know, for a while I felt super uncomfortable because I was like, wow, I'm in the band. I'm in like a band that I'm looking around and all these guys are are amazing. And it took me a while to kind of like speak up and say anything because I was like, I'm out of my league here. And I always kind of had that mentality because of my past. And I think that like, it took me a while to get over it, over it, but. Well, it's really, it's, it's really interesting to hear you say that. Cause I mean, in tracing your lineage of what you described right there, obviously Gates is kind of the first time that you're playing with, you know, complete strangers for lack of a better term, because, you know, you always have obviously had the comfort of your brother and that sort of, um, you know, your uh, safety blanket. So the fact that, you could you could feel the validation from someone else outside of like who you already were. It all it also sounds like obviously the people that you were enlisting to play in the band with you were just out of sheer circumstance where it's like either like you said a next door neighbor or just someone else locally where it's just like well we need we need this so we'll you're in the band as opposed to um, like oh yeah we're you know this is like my brother's friend and he's going to be enlisted or whatever. So it's I mean I, I'm I'm glad to hear that you obviously you know we're able to uh, overcome those, those insecurities to be like, okay, like, yes, like, I feel like I've, I've arrived at the thing I've been trying to do for, for such a long period of time. Right. And I think, I think that I, I benefit and I give most of the, uh, the credit to the dudes in my band for that. Cause like, like you said, I don't know. I didn't know any of them. I mean, I walked in and like met these guys and then an hour later we're playing music. I, I don't think they did it on purpose, but I think they honestly just liked like what I came up with. And I think I was so used to like kind of feeling like everything I did was second rate to other like to everyone else back in, in my scene, feeling like I wasn't the best in that scene and like um to come into this situation and feel like I was good enough that they're like, Yeah, we want we you know, we want you in this band. We think that you bring something to the table here. Um that totally changed my perspective because not only was it not my friends and my brother being like, yeah, you're good because you know, they're gonna, always going to say I'm good. It's my brother. If he says I'm bad, I'm, you know, I'm going to be pissed at him because he's my brother. But these were dudes who I hadn't, I didn't know. And they were saying that they liked what I did. So 
that just gave me the, this, that entire revigoration I needed of being like, yeah, I, I want to play music. This is awesome. Like this is, this is what I've always wanted to do. And it just kind of happened, mm-hmm. you know, rifling through some of the first iteration band names, like the bands that you were playing in high school and stuff like that. Cause I always find them to be either humorous or obviously telling of the music that you were trying to create. So what, what were some of these, uh, these early incarnations? All right. Uh, first band was the Stair Builders originally. Okay. Th- then we changed it to Good Call. Then I formed. Then I formed my like longtime high school band, which was called One Too Many. Okay. With the caveat of it was all one word and it was all lowercase. So how often do you think that that was actually put on the flyer that way? Oh, never. Never. I was like, what were we thinking? Like, we were thinking some local promoter is going to like be like, yeah, no, I know exactly how you should spell this, this band. <laughs> totally. So we had that that whole thing. And then uh, my band in college was called Lock Your Door because when I was in college, it, there was like a sticker that said Lock Your Door above every single door. And I originally started as like a solo project of mine. I was like, oh, well, there's a sticker in every single dorm room now. So that's just like a, a nice head start on marketing. Dude, so, so I love it. <laughs> well, dude, those, ridiculous. I, all those, but all those band names, like I, I, I didn't cringe at one of those band names. Like that's, that's good to hear. Maybe yeah. Stair Builders. Stair Builders is a little weird. I, but I, I like the vibe of that. That like, <laughs> I don't know. Cause I, I can't tell what the band sounds like, you know, cause usually your first band is very much like, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. My first band was called doomed society. You could pretty much predict what we sounded like, which was right. just a bad <laughs> punk band. Um, so, but yeah, Stair Builders is kind of a, uh, yeah, amorphous. Like I wouldn't be able to place what you guys sounded like, but that's cool. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think you'd be able to place what we sounded like if you heard it either. Right. That's the thing. Like we just play like, like, like I said, One Too Many was like the weirdest band ever. Like we played this song called Fight the Power that was like a minute and a half long. And the lyrics were just one, two, three, four, fight the power. And we did that. We just repeated that four times. And then we like built up into like this, like basically sounded like a Sum 41 part, you know. Mm-hmm. But like our fans would, would do a like wall of death to that. So good. I'm not even kidding you. They would separate the whole crowd. And then when the like the heavy part came in they would just all it would be a mosh pit like to this day i've never had like a fan reaction that i did to that band i think that's one thing i'm leaving out is that although we weren't the cool band in high school we were definitely the band that like people came out to see and also that people that didn't go to local shows and that weren't isolated to the whole punk rock community would come out to see and that kind of explains me, I think, in a nutshell. It's like, you know, I think some of the other guys in my band did grow up and kind of stay isolated in, like, the hardcore scene or the punk scene. And, like, I was always that dude who kind of didn't really – I didn't really associate myself with a specific group of people. It was like I just got along with whoever was nice, you know? I just – I wasn't really – I'm not really, like, a, a like a, a talkative or outgoing person. I, I am very, like, introverted. I'm always thinking about something weird. I know it pisses even my girlfriend off sometimes because it takes me three seconds to respond to something because I'm just thinking about lyrics or songs or something all the time. And I think that I've always been that way. But, like, if people kind of are cool with that, then I'm friends with them. And my friends group wasn't super – like, I always wore band shirts and band hoodies, and I was that guy. But, like, my friends weren't all like that. You know, I kind of like a hodgepodge group of, of friends and our fan base reflected that. It was kind of like a populist band, you know? Mm-hmm. And as, again, as not, not legit as that is, it was kind of cool to be like, 
this person doesn't go to shows. They don't like music. They're not, you know, but they're not being excluded from it either. And I always felt that that attitude of like, you're not cool enough to do this sucked. I hated that. And I've, I always was affected by that. I always thought that was the worst thing ever. Like I did feel that in high school a lot of times where it's like, yeah, yeah, your band's not cool. That fight the power song's lame. And it was, but people liked it, you know? So there were people out there who liked the music. It just wasn't that guy who was like, you know, it's the equivalent of the guy who's reviewing the records now on X site, who's telling everyone who's cool and who's not, you know? And I think that's still why to this day I get a little like iffy about that. Cause I'm like, you remind me of those kids in high school that were like, you're not cool. Yeah. You, know? you, you have those proverbial quote unquote gatekeepers uh, right. that, that are, you know, they have the magic wand that will deem something cool. But I find it interesting that, that you had such a, for lack of a better term, like an unanchored experience um, to a particular like scene, just because that is such a, I guess, a common component of most, you know, uh, high school. And once you start to dive into music, it's like, you know, you immediately have to put 70 labels on yourself. It's like, oh, yes, I'm into, you know, vegan straight edge hardcore or, uh, you know, East Bay punk rock or like, but you kind of just, it seemed like you just absorbed it all and kind of put it in this weird blender and were able to, um, you know, just, I guess, take what you wanted out of it without like, uh, you know, really identifying with one particular scene, like you said. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't know. I think that does kind of reflect and ultimately the way that I've always looked at stuff, you know, the, the more solid direction of the band definitely came from the guys. Cause they wrote, they wrote the most, most of the summer rise when I was not in the band, like musically, like uh, a vague ambition entirely written by them. I just came in and was like, I played my guitar parts over the top of it. Then I put vocals over the top of it. So like, I think that they formed the direction that we started in. But I think as we go on, that kind of like weird hodgepodge of influences that I have has kind of crept its way in and is continuing to kind of like get absorbed into the band and we're kind of like going off in those directions as kind of kind of getting off of the rails that maybe we like kind of put ourselves on because of that background where I'm like, well, why would we limit ourselves to one thing? I've just never seen the advantage of that. I was always the guy that was like, well, if the song's cool and we like playing it, let's just do it. I don't see why you would not do it. Like besides some weird reason of like, well, it's not cool to do that. You have to be this or that to be cool. And like, I just never felt that way. I never had that pressure because that's just how I was. And although it does affect me still, I do. Everyone wants that validation. Everyone wants to be the cool dude. I've never had it go to the point where I've decided I'm doing this because I want to be, I want to be accepted or cool. I just do whatever the hell I want. And it's always been that way. It pisses me off in my head, but I, it never gets beyond there. Excuse me, let me butt in on this conversation, even though I'm technically butting into myself, but I want to let you know about some cool stuff, and that cool stuff is in the form of a record label called Sun Terrace Records, run by the vocalist of a band called Seizures, who is a close friend of mine, but he's doing some amazing stuff with his record label. His record label is called Sun Terrace Records. His latest release is a band called Red Curtain. It's a self-titled 7-inch that, like I said at the top of the show 
has sonic markings of bands like Super Heaven, Jawbreaker, Basement. It is a total DIY operation. Obviously, he's, he's running this out of his bedroom. He just wants to basically support good music and put out cool records. So visit sunterracerecords.bandcamp.com. Stream, listen, put those in your ear holes. I, I, I just encourage you because this is a total DIY operation. I feel that. I've put out records myself. It's a tough proposition. So go support I was going to say support the scene. That sounds so cliched. But anyways, go support Sun Terrace Records. And, you know, let's listen to a little bit of the song, too. This is Red Curtain. And here's a song from them just to give you a little taste. I think was Red Curtain, buy the 7-inch, become educated, support good people, and uh, yeah, learn about the label. So Sun Terrace Records, str.limitedrun.com. You'll be able to buy the 7-inch, do everything you want there. And here we go. Now back to the conversation. Kind of, kind of, you know, reflecting on your time in Gates, obviously, once you, um, you know, like you said, kind of got over the training wheels of, in your own head of being in a band and being, val- you know, artistically validated. The band already, even prior to you joining, is just, was this self-contained unit where it was very, uh, you know, like beyond the sort of common DIY practices of like, oh yeah, we book our own shows and do this. It was like, you know, everything from like the visual representation of the band to the video work done by the band, like everything was just so, um, I guess, methodical and crafted out. And you could tell was coming from sort of one voice collectively with the band. And I, I think that's what attracted me to you guys in the first place, because it was just like, oh, wow, like this, this seems serious, even though there was nothing that was like, like overly serious, you know, it was just like, okay, this seems well thought out as opposed to just like, whatever, dude, we're doing, you know, here's a social media page and here's this thing and here's that thing. It seemed very well thought out. Um, was that, uh, I, I mean, obviously it's deliberate, but is that one of those things where you feel, is there any burden on you guys because of everything that has to, you know, all right, we have to film the show tonight because we have to have enough video footage for us to do, you know, a slow-mo montage video or whatever. Like is, is, or is that just a fun component of obviously being creative towards the band? Uh, it's a little bit of both, I think. I mean, I walked I walked into that from the get-go. I mean, that was there, you know? And it was like, I'll be honest with you, it kind of uh, took it for granted for a little bit. It was like, the our lighting stuff is like, that was, honestly, we practiced with that. They're just always going. So we started jamming, and the guys were playing, like, walls for me for the first time, instrumentally, and those lights are just going off. And it's like... This is awesome. But I never really thought about it. Like, oh, man, these guys have these these floodlights. That's cool. It was just like, I think that they were so confident and that was just a thing that they were going to do that I it never once dawned on me. Like, they weren't like, oh, dude, we got this sweet idea. We're going to use these floodlights. It's just, they just, like, had them already. So it was like uh, the whole idea, like, the name of the band was Gates. They had this logo. They had this, like, at the, the Sunrise album art was the background of, like, our MySpace page originally. And it was like everything was just there. And I was like, again, it was part of me coming into the group, looking at it, having kind of the same reaction you did. Like, wow, these dudes mean business. 
like as a guy who was like applying basically to be in the band, all that stuff was already online. They had a logo, they had like, and it was like, wow, this is, this is the band I'm like trying out for, which is part of the reason I felt so like validated when I finally did get to, to join in. But I think now that we do that stuff and there's kind of this like, it's no longer, hey, whenever we get around to it, we're going to redesign this. It's like, we need a new promo photo for you guys. We just did, uh, you're getting a feature in 100 bands you need to know, we need a new promo photo. If we don't have that, we normally would have to just go out and take one. And that becomes one other thing that we have to actually do. Like Mike has to take those photos. He has to find the location. He has to figure out, you know, all the shoot details and stuff. So that in that sense, it becomes a burden of like, it's not on our time frame. We have like these deadlines for that too. And sometimes we don't meet them and it's hard to keep up because it's a ton of work. You know, that video Mike made for low is just an incredible amount of work. Anyone who would have hired that out would have had like three people editing that video. You know, like it's just, it's like an insane thing to try to like do on time. But that being said, I always say that it, it is, it's part of the Gates experience and like, it's very conscious for us. Like the name partially came from the fact that King wanted that Caslon G to be our logo. He thought that was so cool. And it was like that visual aspect actually influenced the name. We're talking, we're talking about LP two. We're talking about album titles, artwork, possibly, well, this would be cool for art. This would be sweet for a title. This would be cool for a theme like, Songs aren't done, but that's being discussed because it's all part of the final art that we do. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, I'm glad that you, you picked up on that. And it was something that like, you know, you know, interested you with the band because it is super intentional for us. And like the work we put into it pays off, you know, I don't think there's ever a time where there's a, like the GoPro footage or something is a burden. Cause like we just set that up, like it would be an amp or something. It was like, Oh, GoPros are up and they're on. You know, Mike and King kind of took that upon themselves and it's just another thing we set up and then we have all this footage just in case we ever want to use it to make it, like you said, like a montage video or something. It's cool to have those assets. That being said, it's also cool to now bring in people from the outside, like have dudes like Charlie Wagers do a shirt for us or, you know, so, you know, we can, again, it's the same concept as the whole man and like bringing in a manager, bringing in, it's like we have outside people who are friends of ours that now we can let in and have them do some stuff for us that we don't feel like we're losing the integrity of the visual concept of the band because they understand and we have this established look that we're going for and they understand what it is and we don't deviate from that. Yeah, it's much it's much easier uh, to, especially when you're coming in from the outside and wanting to help something, it's much easier to look at what you guys do and be like, all right, here's what I can do to like help you improve or work alongside you as opposed to, you know, walking into kind of, you know, a faceless band. And while it is exciting to be like, all right, we can kind of, you know, create this vision. Uh, but then it's like, sometimes you just get lost, you know, the, you get lost from the forest from the trees and you're just like, I can't even, <laughs> I don't even know where to begin, you know? So I can see where that's exciting for other people to want to join up with you because they already feel that there's momentum there. And something I find so interesting about you guys too, is that like, duh, I don't get the impression that um, there's a member of your band that kind of kicks back because, you know, honestly, I mean, I'm sure you've experienced this as well. And in working with bands for, for years and touring with bands where, you know, you see there's usually one or two people in the band that are kind of the, 
you know, vision, whether it's like one guy's a songwriter, one guy's like the business person. I don't get that sense. Um, not like I'm expecting you to throw anybody under the bus if they do, <laughs> if they are lazy in your band. <laughs> but like, I just don't get the impression that everybody kind of has their their role that they fill in your band. And I think that's really uh, uncommon. Yeah, no, I just kind of, I, I kick back and I just let every, everyone else know. <laughs> no, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. It's like, it's 100% democracy. Like everyone gets their own, um, everyone's opinion is held in the same way. I mean, we've had arguments where I, and, and I, I strongly believe it as much as I don't want to sometimes. And I want to be like, but what my opinion is right where I have to bring that up and be like, okay, that's my 20%. It's still only 20% of the, well, the ultimate decision that's going to get made, you know? And like, if someone's being a little headstrong about their opinions, like, well, that's your 20%. So it's, it's a plus in a way that like, I can see us going on forever and never getting in one of those annoying arguments where it's like, you always hear about the band that broke up because, Kevin, you know, he wanted to do this thing and everyone thought it was stupid and then we all did it and it sucked and then we kicked him out of the band because, you know, he made that choice. None of us wanted to do it. And so then we got this other guy and then now our band broke up. You know, it's like that stuff happens all the time because it is one of those things where you can absolutely have that person and then they can absolutely make decisions that, that are horrible and no one wants to do and no one's happy about it. And I think that like, although it's, it is tough to be like, all right, we all have to get on a conference call right now. We all have to like get in a group text. Everyone needs to respond. And like three people are at work today and nobody can talk about this. And like, we're supposed to be emailing about some tour or like, you know, a, a video that needs to be made or something today. We have a deadline, like let's get on it. And we can't all get together and discuss it. It's sometimes a little bit frustrating where it's like, there isn't just one guy who's just making all those choices for us. If that was the case and we kind of all entrusted one person, it'd be way easier to kind of get this stuff taken care of, you know? But it's like, in the same regard, I'd much rather have it the way we have it now, where it's like, as is frustrating as is sometimes to be like, four people are like, yep, yep, yep. And then the other person's like, ah, no. And you, you have to continue to try to be like, all right, what can we do to make you feel comfortable about this? You know, what what's bothering you about this? Let's talk it out and make sure... And if we can't come to a yes, then we're just not going to do it. You know, it's like that is frustrating for sure sometimes. But like, I think at the end of the day, it it's awesome to be in a band where like everyone's valued and everyone matters. It stems from like all the way down to the songwriting, all the way up to like any decision we make. Every single thing is okay by everybody. And if it's not, it becomes it it becomes an issue. It's an actual thing. We have to be like, we didn't all okay this, you know, and like. As long as we keep that going, I think that like that leads to longevity in any process you're going to do because everyone ends up bearing the same burdens and getting the same rewards. Yeah, no, that's that's a, I I agree. I definitely think the the longevity is at play with that. When you do kind of you know a division of labor in regards to like you know two of the guys are carrying most of the load and then the other three you know they contribute and they do their thing with the band, but they're not. <laughs> they're not doing much beyond just like showing up for practice and showing up for tours and doing that. So yeah, I, I definitely agree. This is something that I, I'm sure you guys have noticed in regards to, um, you know, the people that kind of identify with your band and, uh, more so from like the bands that you tour with. Um, and I'm sure, I'm sure you've heard the term too, but uh, you guys are definitely a band's band where the bands that you either tour with or people that you randomly connect with, uh, are usually people that have either played in touring bands or are obviously in touring bands currently. Um, 
And then, you know, unfortunately, a lot of bands fall into that category that just never are, you know, recognized on a wider level. Like, I'll use an example where there's a band like Code 7. They're from North Carolina. And, like, they put out a record on Equal Vision, and they put out two other records, like an EP and a full length on this other random label that no one cared about. But they got a lot of cool tours because they were like, dude, we love watching this band play live. They're incredible. Um, But then they just never connected uh, on a wider level you know, from a commercial perspective. Um, I don't know. Have you, have you heard of that, that term and that sort of like dichotomy that sometimes certain bands kind of get uh, fallen into a category where it's like, yeah, you'll get great tours and you'll be able to play in front of a lot of people, but there won't be that, I guess, next proverbial step of like, all right, well, here's, you know, now we're as big as all time low or whatever. Not saying that's your guys's goal, but you, <laughs> you, you, you see the point I'm trying to make. Absolutely. I a hundred percent agree with you. We are a band's band. I've, I've said that many times. Um, yeah, you, it worries me sometimes because you're like, okay, I feel like everyone who bought a record tonight was in one of the, like the local bands we played with, <laughs> yeah, or something like that. You yeah, know what I mean? it was like it was like. But I, then I started thinking about it, and I was like, well, that's kind of awesome because these are other people who play music that are probably more jaded than anyone else, you know, out there. Like, they've heard a million bands. Most of these bands are touring and playing with bands all the time. And, like, even bands you love, you're like, oh, it takes you, like, a month and a half, two months to get around to listening to their records sometimes. It's like, you know, there's so much music in our lives, even more so than other people, that when it does come down to it and people who play music are like, you guys are really good, that's the most meaningful thing that can that can happen you know it's like these people who we look up to and respect too are like wow you guys are awesome it's another one of those those moments where i was like like pianos is a perfect example like absolutely love that band you know loved them before we met them and we met them in the uk and it's really weird show that we ended up playing with them and we played like second of six or something and it was like they're never gonna even watch us and in the middle of our first song i look up and like you know kyle and chad are just standing front row like with huge grins on their faces. I'm like, oh, shit, they're actually watching us play, you know? Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, like, you guys are a good band. And you're like, this is crazy. Like, I never would have thought that a band that I thought was good would also think my band is good. I don't know why you just don't have that thought, but you're just, again, I'm just always like, don't really know if I'm good or not, but I'm just going to keep doing this, you know? And, like, to have those time and time again to have bands come up to us and be like, we really respect what you guys are doing. We love what you guys are doing or being like, we, yeah, we're going to do this or that because you guys do it and stuff. And it's like, that's so flattering to me to be like, we, wow, we, we actually like matter to, to people that like play music. That's crazy. You know? Yeah. Um, no, that's a, I, that's a really important point that, that uh, I'm glad you made because I, I often don't think of it like that in those terms and, and kind of gloss over the positive aspect of it because yeah, you are, infiltrating like you said the most uh, uh the person that's probably been most inundated <laughs> with bands from either a local level um or obviously from a touring perspective and so that's yeah I, I i like that i like that idea because then the idea is that okay extrapolate that where it's like okay if we've kind of infiltrated the most difficult people <laughs> to like get into bands like getting kids at a show like that should be you know, at least easier than that. Like we just need to get in front of them. Yeah. I mean, and and a a flip side of that too. Yeah. You're right. But also I, like, 
I wasn't trying to dive into all of the negative aspects of it, but I will touch on a little bit on it because you're totally right. There's like this kind of overarching fear of like, why don't people who don't play music get what we're doing? And I think that some of what we do is complex to the point of like, I don't, I try to always think of it as like, this is just a song, but there's a lot of like crazy guitar riffs going on. Like I, there's a lot of stuff that's like, all right, maybe a musician's going to love this because they can, they can look at Ethan and tell what he's playing. And then they come up to us and they're like, oh, what pedals are you using? And what, you know, what tuning are you in? And like, they're interested in those kind of things. Whereas the normal person, they either want something that they can like get down to at the show or they can sing along to, or like, that's pretty much what like bands of music that don't play music are looking for. And it's like, you're like, okay, well, I'm, I must be misstepping on some of those things. And that is something that I think about and I do try to improve. Like it does affect me. It, I do think about that as in like, all right, we have a cool guitar riff and that impressed this group of people. How, what are we doing? What can we do to make this group of people like our music now? Because I think not in a uh, perspective of like, we just want more people to listen to us, but in a perspective of like, I think a song is better if more people can enjoy it. I think that's a great factor to look at. And when I was younger, it was always like, how crazy and hard can I make this song? And I think I learned from my last band that that's not always the best decision to make. That one good factor to think about in like, you know, bands like the Beatles were considered the best band of all time. It's like their music appealed to so many different people. And that's a huge part of like writing good music. So what can we do to kind of put it back into that realm and like improve on that? You know, so like there is there is fears that arise totally from having that happen. But that being said, you know, like the idea that like we've gotten on all these tours because strictly because the band's like, I like this band and they're cool. It's like, and again, that's I never thought I would be that band. I was the populist band. So like to be in a band where it was like, it's like they do. I finally got that recognition, that respect that I was looking for. Of like you guys really know what you're doing and you put together something really cool here that like is, is awesome to watch. It's awesome to listen to. And that's what I always wanted to do. And I think that is the best, honestly, that's the best thing I could have asked for And to have like a million people like my music would be secondary because I think the people that really matter to me, they, they like it and that's awesome. Yeah, no, they get it. Um, the last thing I want to hit on before I let you go was there, there tends to be a certain expectation, um, from, uh, bands that sound like what you guys are doing, um, to, uh, you know, be incredibly emotionally charged from either, you know, the lyrics, uh, well, primarily from a lyrical perspective, because usually it's one of those things where it's like, because of the, you know, dramatic flair that your music, uh, tends to have, you need to back it up from a sort of, you know, very deep emotional level. Um, but then I'm sure that there are times in your head where you're just like, well, I don't want to either, I'm not, I'm not inspired to do that right now, or I don't want to do that right now. Um, cause I, you know, I, I see in almost every interview that you've done over the course of this album cycle, everyone's always like, oh, your lyrics are so personal on this one. And like, you know, how did that, was that hard for you? And it's just like, you know, kind of the sort of cliched question like that. Um, right. but then, but then I, I, you know, I often wonder myself just because I I've been in those moments of just like the song, you know, calls for that sort of level of introspection. But to be honest, I'm just, I'm not feeling 
feeling that introspective. I can maybe talk about this thing or whatever. So I don't know. I just wanted to kind of bring up, bring that up just because I'm, I'm sure that there are, are, are significant struggles that you go through being able to, I guess, match the uh, emotional content um, that is being presented musically. Yeah, for sure. It's, that's definitely an interesting thought because it kind of touches base on, you know, where I'm at right now, where it's your three, I mean, our two EPs, I just count them as albums because the amount of stress that I endured during them was equal to or greater than Blue Breed. So like writing those on the same level to me, but like, all right, we're three albums in now from a writing perspective. And there's some heavy stuff on those. Like, you know, lyrically there's some pretty like, like emotionally draining stuff on there. And like that being said, how many different ways can I put that and not have it be, just rehashing the same thing, you know? And I think that like bloom and breathe is kind of, it is more honest in a way, but it's also because I was just starting to get to that point where I was feeling like, all right, I can put this the same way I did on the EPs and kind of go like with these like really like super detailed metaphors, or I can kind of just do a little more stream of conscious stuff where I don't edit all these lyrics to death and I kind of just let what initially came out of me kind of just be what it was. And I think I've decided on a nice mesh of the two kind of just trying to discover exactly what it is that I want my style to be on the next record, you know, because yeah, it's true. There's like, there's some difficulty. I, I definitely spent a lot of time just staring at the paper. And when you're in like a state of mind of like, I'm really messed up about something, it's hard to write about. It doesn't necessarily come to you easily. It's not like, it, it, for me, it's a super analytical process. Maybe it's coming from an engineer's background or whatever. It's like, I'm, I'm constantly thinking about the details. Like, okay, this... I want to have this cool lyrical juxtaposition here where there's like a bunch of, you know, synonyms and antonyms of the same idea. And like the metaphor is covering this, but it's actually about this. But then there's a third layer where the song really touches based on like this subject that no one's ever going to know about, you know? So it's like, there's these super detailed things I want to do. And you, when you're like emotionally distressed about something, you're not thinking about any of that. You're just thinking like, this sucks. And to try to like put those two things together sometimes is super hard. And then, you know, on the flip side of that too, there's a lot of influences that I've had recently. It's like, all right, you know, always been a huge fan of Death Cab, but just from listening to a ton of Death Cab, it's like, all right, Ben Gibbard isn't having all of these experiences. He's writing these stories that they do mean something to him. They're under underneath that is something that like, that matters to him and the message he wants to convey, but it's not necessarily like a life experience that he had, you know, it's like something that he kind of like is creating this, this story. He's a, you know, he's a songwriter and that kind of a thing is something I've never tried to do. It's always been like, all right, I'm going to sit around until I feel a certain way about something. And then that's when I'm going to write this song. And if I miss that opportunity, then the song isn't personal enough for me. This isn't, good enough but i think that's really a farce when it comes down to it like it doesn't have to be this like extremely confessional straightforward song where i say exactly what it is that i mean in order to have that kind of emotional weight for me it can be 
a story or it can convey something that I didn't necessarily go through or like something my friend went through or something that I read about a story I read that affects me in a way that I, you know, that I feel like I feel like a need to write about that and to get my emotions out about that. It doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be exactly for my own life experience. So I'm kind of moving into that idea of like, I can touch base on that stuff and it's not going to be totally weird and getting to the point where I'm comfortable enough kind of playing these songs for some people being like, all right, this is not really what I typically would do, but like, what do you think, you know, and, and kind of trying out those hats because I always get bored doing the same thing over and over again. And like, again, I'm not going to sit there and try to force out something just for the sake of like, it's, it's what people would want to hear or it's what like is expected of me to do. I'd rather do what inspires me at the moment because I'm going to feel like it's the best thing that I could have done. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. It's, it's definitely, there's a, there's a lot of landscape that you can explore out there and it's good that you're obviously opening yourself up to those different opportunities. Cause yeah, otherwise, you know, yeah. If inspiration doesn't strike you, then you're just sitting there with, you know, 20 songs musically written and then you're still just waiting there. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's a bad situation. <laughs> no, for sure. Well, Kevin, I really appreciate hanging out and we, uh, we, we got deep and I'm, I'm, I'm proud of this. Are you, uh, you, you feeling okay about this? I'm feeling great. Just mute everything I said, and uh, we'll, we'll be perfect. Oh, perfect. So there you go. There was Kevin. And, uh, yeah, I hope you found that insightful. And like I said, check out his band, Bloom and Breathe. That's their latest release on Pure Noise Records. Yeah, just an incredible band. The record sounds unreal, too. More unreal than this bus that's driving by me currently at Union Station. The producer, as always, for this show is Tom Richfield living large in the UK, making things happen. The show's website, 100wordspodcast.com. You can email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. And if you're a sponsor and you're interested in, uh, you know, hooking up with the show, we've got a lot of listeners, so uh, we can tell those listeners about whatever it is that you do, large or small, so don't be intimidated. You can email the show, like I said. And, um, yeah, that's it. Hopefully I'll be a little more rested next week and I'll be able to record a more professional intro for you. But, you know, hopefully this is a nice change of pace where you're like, oh, yeah, I feel like I'm out in the world with you. So, anyways, until next week, please be safe, everybody. 